0: So it does get a bit weird when you're listening to Reply All and then all of a sudden somebody is telling you how Australia Post is doing a great thing this summer because that is very confusing. Podcast Junkies, episode
1: 216 i'm back i'm harry duran i'm the host of this show since 2014 bringing you some of the most amazing fun conversations with podcasters and podcast personalities from around the podosphere this week i have a doozy for you it's the one and only james Cridland, host of podnews.net but before we jump into that in case you missed last week's episode had a really great and insightful conversation with juan sepulveda he's the host of three podcasts and one of them is the gentleman's brotherhood he's a freemason so we were schooled on all aspects of freemasonry and how to raise a scholarly child which i thought was a fascinating discussion Um, there's something about the way juan speaks that puts the listener at ease and so i was really happy to connect with him after a couple of years uh, connecting in person. And so that episode has gotten a lot of good feedback. Shout out to Dave Jackson for mentioning it when I was at PodFest. This episode's brought to you by Focusrite. There's a fantastic sponsorship happening this month. Focusrite has launched the podcast studio makeover and it's running from March 6th through April 17th. This is an amazing giveaway and you should definitely jump on this. They've partnered with a group of companies to give away three prize bundles to chosen winners, each of them valued at over $2,300. This bundle is bananas. First off, it's the Scarlett 18i8 third-generation USB audio interface. It features four upgraded third-generation Scarlett mic preamps, the switchable air mode I've mentioned earlier, two high-headroom instrument inputs, eight line inputs. This thing is amazing. Then there's the Heil PR40 and PL2T arm, a free month of Squadcast. You guys know I love Squadcast, plus 50% off the first two months. Simplecast, again, another fantastic partner of the show. You get the first month free. Audio Mute, you get a $500 store credit and a free consultation. Hindenburg, a $95 store credit, enough for a journalist to be applied towards an upgrade. And Adam Audio is providing a pair of SP5 headphones. Last but not least, you get to pack it all up in your Namba gear, Lil Namba Remix backpack. This is a crazy, crazy, crazy kit. Make sure you sign up. I've created a special link. Go to podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right promo. That's podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right promo. What are you waiting for? Go sign up now. So I mentioned Podfest. We just got back in to Minneapolis from Florida last night, stayed a couple of extra days. And with everything that's happening in the world at this moment with regards to the coronavirus, it's been a crazy week to say the least. Suffice it to say that if PodFest was probably three to five days later, the conference definitely would have been canceled. Everyone that's within the sound of my voice, I hope you and your families and friends and loved ones are all safe. I think for the most part, the smart thing to do is not travel. In the next couple of weeks, I've canceled a couple of trips as well that I was looking forward to. And I think it's the best course of action. It's something that we worldwide, I think, don't understand completely. I think as of this recording, there's still not a known cure for the coronavirus. So I think it makes sense for everyone, especially folks that have been traveling lately to stay indoors, which I don't think is going to be news to anyone hearing this. So wishing everyone the best of health, and I know that collectively as a country, but also as a human being, I think it's imperative that we all stay a little calm in these situations, because I know we're all going to get through it. So that being said, let's jump into this week's conversation. It's with James Cridland, host of Pod News. Regular podcast listeners will know who he is. Anyone in the podcast industry at this point knows who James is. He's got a long background in radio and podcasting. And I think he's perfectly suited to be the editor of pod news as it's a well-rounded daily update on all things podcasting. I've had the pleasure of connecting with James several times at live events. He is an extremely personable Guy, and I'm always looking forward to our discussions. And I knew this one was going to be special since it's a podcast that geeks out on podcasting. And I knew we were definitely going to go over the hour. So be forewarned, you might have to listen to this in parts. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show, from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. About your existing or new show. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's jump into this conversation with James. So, James Cridland, host of Pod News, thanks for joining us finally on uh, Podcast Junkies. It's a great pleasure. I've been thinking you were trying to uh, avoid me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I know because we've because we've had this uh, in in the diary, and then it's not worked, and then it and then it's been in the diary again, and then it's not worked for some other reason. Probably because I was travelling or something. So uh, yes, but it's uh, it's it's great to finally <laughs> finally manage it.
1: Yeah, and we've had a chance uh, to connect in person. Uh, originally, at, I think at Podfest. I don't yeah. even know if it was last year now or maybe the year before. I'm losing track at this point with podcasting conferences. Probably not as much as you are. <laughs> and then we got to, uh, uh, be on the stage together at, uh, Ronsley's event. We are podcast, which was a lot of fun. That's right. Uh, my first, my first trip to Australia, which was great. Yes. I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I still can't get over the size of the bats in the trees.
0: Yes, we, we do we do quite a lot of things down here. At least those bats wouldn't kill you, which is you know like most of the yeah. most of the things kill you here. So uh, yes, there is always that. And we caught up at um, NAB as well at the NAB
1: show. Exactly. Yeah, we had a nice chat uh, as there, there as well. Yes, which is
0: mostly known as hell on earth because uh, of the <laughs> just because of the size of the thing in in uh, Vegas. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely.
1: So I've been looking forward to this chat just. Because of everything that's happening in this world of podcasting, and uh, and thankfully your your um, your newsletter is definitely helped me, helping me keep up to date with everything that's happening. But I imagine even you are uh, sometimes overwhelmed at, at so many things that are happening. And I was doing a, a quick check for another project of of even just the latest round of funding that's been coming in uh it's been a whirlwind of, of that so we'll dive deep uh, a little bit in a, in, a, in a little bit about your background but i'm just wondering what your take is on on, on what's happening in terms of uh interest money coming in it, it seems to be picking up uh pace uh, i'm wondering what what your take is in it from from your point of view
0: yeah, I think it's certainly picking up pace. I mean, I think, you know, the Spotify conversations last year and 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 this year have been all about uh, Spotify spending lots of money in this space, Spotify really investing, showing that they, you know, I mean, they were talking uh, recently in their financials, they were talking about uh, they have data that shows that people who use Spotify for podcasts are more likely to stick with the product, more likely to spend the money to upgrade to premium. You know, all of that kind of stuff, I think, has helped other people wake up and go, oh, There is definitely something going on in this podcasting world, because if Spotify are doing it, then we should be having a look too. So all of a sudden, I think we're seeing a bunch of new entrants into the market some of whom uh, will be massively successful, most of whom I suspect will fail. But that's usually the way of these things. And so, you know, just sort of really interesting seeing uh, just so many new ideas uh, coming out and new sort of niche uh, things. So there was a podcast host released very recently, which is a, a podcast host specifically for branded podcasts. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you know, and so you've got this tiny sort of niche of, you know, a specific product for that. Um, and I think that's going to be really interesting, just sort of seeing where the niches are in this uh, in this place. So that we've got, you know, large companies like Libsyn and Blueberry who've been doing this for years, who are something for everybody. And then you've got, you know, much smaller niche companies who are focusing on real needs that particular podcasters have. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch.
1: And that's Casted, I think, the company that you mentioned. Yes, that's right. I just saw that come in, come through earlier today. So naturally, my curiosity uh, had me clicking the 15-minute chat with Casted button. So <laughs> I'll be talking to them to get a deeper dive just from initial looks. Yeah. Um, if, all you went, if you if all you had to go on for these startups was the, the beauty of their, um, their their mock-ups and their screens and it would yes. seem like they would all succeed. <laughs> it looks interesting.
0: It's a beautiful mock-up. I always like mock-ups that still have Latin in them. <laughs>
1: and the lauren ipsum yeah <laughs> yes
0: and i don't know whether you looked at the stats which is really interesting the stats is like you know the, the stats uh, has a beautiful graph of lots of different colors and everything else and if you have a close look at it then you realize that two of the buttons say exactly the same on them um and so you go well this is obviously a mock-up but actually yeah. it looks really good it looks uh you know it looks interesting and they've got a good amount of funding for that i think from memory 2.35 million 2.3 um, yeah yeah so i think you know that that that's a good sort of you know a good amount of money to put uh, to put into a product like this to make it really work so you know mock-ups are all fine um it'll be really interesting to actually see how it goes and um you know what is different about it to a typical podcast host
1: yeah, and just in specifically the hosting is fascinating, um, and I, I know as a disclaimer, you're a, a, an advisor to Captivate, but even just the hosting space, I think mm. at last count, ballpark probably fifteen to twenty hosting companies out there in, in all shapes and sizes, and and maybe it speaks to the to the the size, the, how the industry is growing, that there's room for all of them. But at this point, it seems like the majority of hosting is, is considered a commodity. And I don't know um, if there's a lot of folks doing a lot to to differentiate themselves in the space. I don't know if you've seen anything different.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the difficulties that actually when you go to a Facebook group, for example, then you will see three different companies uh, and you'll go, "Okay, um, should I be choosing from Buzzsprout or Libsyn or and then they throw in another one. Um, And that's really interesting because, you know, clearly there are the heritage podcast hosts um, who have a lot of um, you know history in this space, and so therefore people are using them. They're not necessarily the best, but they certainly have a lot, an awful lot of of uh, of uh, heritage there. And I think what's going to be interesting is for the other podcast hosts, because at the end of the day, hosting a podcast is not a difficult technical challenge. So therefore, it's actually making sure that there is a unique selling point, a unique reason for that podcast host to exist. And I suspect that we will see more of these smaller podcast hosts really focusing on individual parts of the pie, you know, like Mm -hmm. casted with the whole branded podcast stuff, um, you know, of actually seeing, you know, if you are doing a podcast that is X, you need podcast host Y, you know, and so on and so forth. And yes, there's. Some differentiation there in terms of IAB compliance, um, which, uh, surprise, doesn't actually matter to most podcasters. Um, There's also some differentiation there in terms of you know other things as well. But uh, you know what I've been trying to mention in pod news as much as anything else is that all of the podcast hosts will get you into apple all of the podcast hosts will get you into spotify and that's something that for brand new podcasters they don't necessarily understand they actually look at the at the icons and the logos on people's sites and go, oh, this one I can get into into Deezer. Um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And Deezer's great I- in France and great in parts of Europe. Um, and you definitely want to be in there. But guess what? You can be in there with any podcast host because that's how podcasting yeah. works.
1: What's your thoughts on something that makes things Dropped it easy to, to start a show, something like Anchor, because, you know, people are of two minds and they either just rake them over the coals. And i I think I've come around a little bit in terms of using it as a test bed for a podcast. Obviously, it's a graveyard of podcasts there. Mm. I wish I, thanks to some, um, in-depth reporting from Daniel J. Lewis, we've gotten, we were able to see exactly what's happening there. But what are you, what are your thoughts on making it easy for people to try? I know Transistor has a plan with like, uh, unlimited shows. They'd, cause obviously, what cost them is is it the actual downloads mm. um and it thoughts on anything that makes it easier for people to try is that a good or bad yeah
0: i mean i i think if you look at a typical heritage podcast host it's really complicated you know you need an image for your podcast you need that image to be an rgb space you need that image to be between 1440 pixels and 3000 pixels it must be square it must be less than 500 kilobytes all of this kind of complicated stuff anchor takes away And so, you know, you really notice when you're on Facebook uh, podcast groups and you have people who simply don't understand why Apple has rejected their podcast automatically because the image is somehow the wrong size. And I think the difference between some of the podcast hosts is some of the podcast hosts will give you that error and it's up to you to go away and fix it. Other podcast hosts will go, you know what, you've given me a really stupid-sized image. I'm going to resize this for you. I'm going to tell you that I've resized it, but I'm going to resize it for you so that it works. And Anchor is one of those. Anchor has actually gone one step further, and you press a couple of buttons, and it makes the podcast artwork for you. And I personally think that, you know, it's like a gateway drug in a way. It lets Mm -hmm. people get involved. It lets people start making a podcast. There are going to be about twenty percent of those people who get it and uh, start what, uh, and want to take it further. And when they want to take it further, then they will very quickly realise some of the limitations that Anchor has and want to actually take it t- to the next step. And that's where podcast hosts like Captivate, like Libsyn, like you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, Transistor, all all come into it. Um, and you know, I think Anchor is a great thing. Some people are very vexed about the fact that there are lots of podcasts in the Apple Podcasts directory that have faded, um, that are tests from people on Anchor who've tried it for a couple of episodes and just stopped. And I think that's probably a valid thing. And I think that maybe one of the things that Apple might wish to consider at some point in the future is to look at podcasts perhaps podcasts from certain hosts and say, if there are less than three, and if it hasn't been updated for two years, then we should probably remove those. Um, because I think that would get rid of some of the noise from the directory. But I think apart from that, I'm absolutely all for getting as many people podcasting as possible. I think it's a really good thing.
1: I'm surprised someone hasn't had someone with a lot of spare time hasn't taken upon themselves to actually try out every single pod host and say this is how long it took me and and just do some sort of in depth maybe it's, it'll be Daniel J Lewis because he loves doing these sort of things. It will be <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not going to be me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and so shout out to Daniel. He's he's a he's a good sport, um, but he's definitely like geeking out on the stats um, from from some of the things that he's been doing. But
0: you know, I mean, I think, yeah. You know, I mean, there are certain things that uh, I think we could, we as people in podcasting could make, could be making things easy. Mm-hmm. So. Worrying about you know, I mean, I mentioned the size of um, uh, the size of 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 our uh, artwork uh, is one thing. Worrying about what bitrate we use, whether we use MP3, whether we use AAC, whether what what um, you know encoding rate we use, all of this stuff. Yeah, luffs as well. Absolutely, technology will fix all of this. So, what we should be doing, to my mind, is giving people all of the tools to automatically fix this stuff. And the more advanced podcast hosts may also wish to allow people to turn that off. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think think there are a lot of really avoidable errors being made right now from, um, you know, sometimes from really big companies who are, you know, if you are NPR, for example, NPR is a really bad example, but I'm going to go with it. If you're NPR, you will make a lot of podcasts, but all of the podcasts that you make will be too quiet. Because the way that you make stuff on your radio production uh, thing means that it's minus 23, Lufs, which means that it's very quiet. Sorry, minus 24 in in North America. It means it's really quiet. And actually, a typical podcast should be about minus 16, so i.e. louder. And that really is just a case of putting it into a, into a thing and saying, make this as loud as a podcast should be. But we're even seeing, you know, broadcasters, NPR is not uh, a good example, but we are seeing other broadcasters who are literally exporting stuff from their playout system and hoping that that's going to be loud enough. And it really isn't. So, you know, all of those really easy, simple things that technology can fix, I think we should probably be helping people and fixing that, so, you, you know, as much as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, I've been following an interesting, uh, no code movement. I don't know if you've, you've seen some of these new tools like, uh, bubble and webflow, which are incredibly easy to create and, 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 and whip up, uh, websites, uh, table to site is one I, I tested out recently with my, uh, mm-hmm. uh, podcast books club, but it's just been easy and interesting to follow. And I'm wondering if there's going to be something happening like an easy button. And I think maybe, you know, what you alluded to with anchors is, making it easy for people but i think reducing the barrier and, and all the jargon and the technology and all these specs that new podcasters if we're going to grow the population i think uh, don't have any business like modeling in in those all they want to do is actually just yeah. turn on a microphone record and have it magically appear in somewhere in the potosphere
0: yes yes uh, oh yeah absolutely i mean i think uh, anything that makes it easier And Anchor being the obvious example there, Um, anything that makes it easier for you to get started is a great thing. And once you know what you're doing, um, once you know what the rules are, then you can work out Mm -hmm. how to break those and whether or not it makes sense to actually break those. But I think, you know, at the very beginning, we should be holding people's hands far more than we have been doing in the past. Um, and I think, you know, some of the good podcast hosts are doing that. Yeah, And I think anything that, you know, I mean, running a support team is a cost. And if you can, uh, if you can lower that cost by making things easier and, and smarter, um, then, you know, that's what anybody ought to be doing, I think.
1: So let's uh, wind the clock back a little bit. Uh, where did you grow up?
0: So I'm a a Brit, as you can tell from this ridiculous accent. (laughs) I've I've been practicing it for quite some time now. Um, So I grew up in England, in the north of England mostly, and uh, the first thing that I did when I, I left school was... Worked for a radio station mm. because I thought, "Wow, this is definitely something that I want to be involved in." Mm. Actually, I ran a I ran a pirate radio station when I was at school. Okay,
1: which is uh, which is a bad thing. Don't do it, kids. Did you watch that Christian Slater movie on on pirate radio? What was it? I'm dating myself, but it's like an '80s movie <laughs> about a pirate radio station. Oh, I
0: didn't, I didn't. But there are there are like loads of these. My pirate radio station ran on a nine volt battery. Wow you could just about pick it up around school and that was it Um, most (laughs) importantly what
1: were the call letters
0: uh, well we don't have call letters in the UK so I I, I think I I just called it the name of the building that it came from (laughs) So it came from a building called Bolton House and I called it Bolton Radio, um, just to hide from the police. Um, (laughs) So um, yeah, but, um, and it ran off a couple of cassette decks so I could record the top 40 and um, yeah, and it was, it was great fun when I did that. Was it all, was it all music? It was mostly music, okay. yeah. It was music and, you know, and, and the occasional people talking, but it was mostly me. And for a couple of months, we had a remote studio <laughs> Uh, which was very cool. So you can actually. Uh, so so we actually had a studio in a different in a different building. Run through the electricity wiring, <laughs> which is probably not a good plan as well. So anyway, so yeah, so I was uh, you know always really interested, really excited about what you could do in terms of audio, what you could do in terms of reaching, you know, reaching people, broadcasting, which podcasting is still you know really part of i was very excited about that and so um so at school i i i did three uh, big exams i did an exam in politics an exam in music and an exam in physics Mm which is a very strange mix. But you can see that obviously music for the music side of radio, politics for the news side, and um, physics for the electronics side. So uh, that kind of worked. I think I I
1: had my plan. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming together perfectly now.
0: Indeed. Indeed, yeah. So I worked in radio in the north of England for a while. Uh, I was on the air for a couple of years, and then I realized that I wasn't good enough at that and uh yeah and that, and that's sort of basically where my where my career started
1: are there any of your tapes of you on the air still available
0: do you know i didn't think that there were any i certainly didn't keep any tapes and then someone said someone started posting on twitter recordings of the radio station that i was on mm. um so this was 1993 and somebody has started posting these tapes on Twitter and I used a different name when I was on the air. So just to confuse things. Um, but occasionally I pop up in the promos and things and, uh, you know, thankfully nobody's recorded an actual show, but I keep on hearing little clips of me that's sounding funny. dreadful. Um, that's funny. <laughs> so it's a very strange thing <laughs> because I have no tapes of me whatsoever. And even if I had tapes, I'd, I, I certainly wouldn't have anything to actually play the tapes on. <laughs> uh, so that's another issue, but
1: yeah. Where did your love of technology stem from? How, how far back does it go?
0: Um, I think it went back to, um, so the school I went to was a boarding school and had a very proud sporting tradition uh, of lots of people playing rugby or cricket. And I cannot stand sport, and so therefore I worked out that there was a way of hiding away from the sports uh, by spending the afternoon in the computer room. Okay, uh, so so that's what I did, uh, and and instead of running around keeping myself fit, I uh, you know taught myself a skill, uh, which <laughs> I um, on in retrospect was quite a clever skill to treat yourself. Yes. But anyway. Yeah, so I started doing that and really began to be very interested at some of the things that you could do with computers back then. Now, computers back then were not uh, particularly clever. There was no access to the internet, mm-hmm. of course. But, uh, you know, and I was using the first computer I learned to program on was a Commodore PET. Mm. Uh, Commodore PET was this great big sort of uh, metal thing that had a monitor, a green screen monitor inside it. And if you wanted to, I programmed a game which was essentially Snake um, okay. that I'd seen on somebody else's computer, and I wanted to play on, on the on the Commodore PET. So I programmed it, and uh, yes, and in order to get, you know, a uh, a block to appear on the top left of the screen, you had to write in 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 the basic language, you had to write poke three two seven six eight comma <laughs> 64 or whatever it was and so you suddenly think wow you know this is (laughs) this is complicated stuff but yeah so i learned how to do that i'm quite proud that people actually started to pirate my game oh wow that's a sign (laughs) that you've made it yeah which was which was nice and uh, yeah and i started you know using technology um, so i was the first radio presenter in one of the radio stations that i worked at i was the first radio presenter to work out how the playout system would work so the playout system is the, the thing that plays the songs mm. and you can record you can record yourself into there and it plays the the adverts and the jingles and everything else and i spent a lot of time trying to work out how i could get the most out of that because I'm a relatively mediocre radio presenter. Um, (laughs) But if I can use the technology to make me sound less mediocre um, and slightly more passable, then to me, that was a good thing. Um, And so I ended up playing around a lot with that. And I think, you know, that then allows you to learn the rudimentary basics of editing audio, of treating audio to make it easier to hear, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's how I learned to end up doing that. I remember my first day when I was being taught how to use a editor, an audio editor. Yeah. So I learned how to edit on tape, yep. on reel-to-reel tape. So you would cut it up and you'd stick it back together again with sticky tape and you would you know, use Chinagraph pencils and everything else. And I learned for the first time we had this very expensive um, computerized editing system and the people from this company called Sadie came over and taught us how to edit. And the thing that I learned, which is a useful thing, is that the word fish... Looks like a fish when you try editing it, <laughs> uh, which is a fascinating thing. So therefore, you can actually um, so therefore you can actually edit by using the word fish, and you can see the word fish appearing on your uh on on the waveform so wow. uh yeah so it was a it was it was exciting <laughs> <too>. <laughs> and you tell young people that today yeah. i'm i'm sure they're
1: they're hearing a first here definitely on podcast junkies so that's that's great um do you remember when you first discovered the internet
0: uh i do uh, so i used compuserve for a while yeah. uh yeah. And uh, AOL, as everybody used AOL, but I actually used CompuServe first. And CompuServe was, uh, yeah, was this sort of really uh, um, complicated text-only thing. Its email addresses were numbers, mm. and its email addresses were numbers in base 8. So I had a ridiculous email address, at CompuServe.com. Don't uh, try emailing <laughs> that, because it won't work anymore. And there was a way on CompuServe, and I think you typed in "Go Internet" or something like that, okay. where you could actually go, go away from the walled garden of CompuServe into the wild west of the internet. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I worked out how to use something called Mosaic, yeah. which was the first web browser. Yes. And I remember sitting there and going, wow, this is amazing. I am here in Yorkshire and England and I'm connected to a computer run by NASA and I can see the sp- a picture loading very slowly of the space. One shuttle.
1: line at a time. How exciting is <laughs> yeah. this?
0: Yeah, I mean, it really was. And I remember looking at that and thinking, wow, this changes everything because if all of a sudden you know you can connect to other people i mean CompuServe was excited was exciting enough i also used a thing called FidoNet as well which hmm. was a network of bulletin boards and things okay this is a very geeky podcast <laughs> when you when you go on to when you go on to the Apple podcast stats later there'll be about 10% of people <laughs> listening by this point
1: <laughs> uh, It'll be interesting yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah so I was sort of playing around with that and I suddenly thought wow this is really this is really interesting and really exciting and radio is one way of communicating to people but this way you can actually see people coming you know connecting back to you and uh, yeah and that really changed things.
1: So, a lot of people may not know this, but before Pod News, you actually had a similar newsletter, but for the radio industry as well. so mm.
0: Yes, which I still run. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do you want to talk about the the origins of there and and where you were in your in your radio career um, when you got that started?
0: Yes. I mean, so what I did is I, I started working for a radio station in the north of England. Uh, then I went to run a media information website for a couple of years, just after the dot-com boom had had a bust. Uh, excellent timing, James. Well done. And then because I needed to eat again, I, I went to work for a radio station, but I ran their website. So it, th- this was a radio station called Virgin Radio. It was okay. in uh, London. And I joined there in uh, 2000 and uh, in 2000. And um, I was very lucky that Virgin Radio was a radio station that it was a, a music station on AM, which isn't automatically a great start. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it was always playing around with new technology. So it was the first to broadcast on satellite radio in the UK, the first to broadcast on the internet. I should clarify that because there will be pedants. The first <laughs> radio station in Europe to broadcast on the internet 24 hours a day. Okay. I believe that that bit's important. Yeah, And what my job was there was uh, both running uh, the website, but also working out what innovative things we could be doing. And so launching the first radio station streaming app, in mm-hmm. 2005, which ran on three Symbian phones, so that was good, <laughs> and also launching uh, the first daily podcast from a radio station in the UK in January of t- of 2005. So I sat okay. there and wrote the wrote the RSS feed, and really started playing with what you could do with audio and new technology. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, back at that sort of time, then went to work for the BBC for a couple of years because uh, everybody has to in the
1: UK; it's the law. <laughs> It's like in Israel, you have to join the army in in the UK. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: (laughs) If you work in media, you have to work at the BBC for for two years, just so that you know what a mistake you've made. (laughs) So I then jumped out of that very, very quickly and realized that um, actually there was a real need for someone to help radio companies understand what the future was going to be. And so I set myself up as a radio futurologist, uh, not not realizing I got the word wrong because it's actually futurist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but radio futurologist is what I still call myself and wrote a blog, uh, which morphed into a weekly newsletter, uh, which you can still get now. James.crit.land is the website address. And that is, you know, things around how people are consuming radio now, um, and what the radio industry needs to do to actually, uh, stay relevant for the next generation. And, uh, surprise, surprise podcasting is very much part of that.
1: What year did you start the radio newsletter?
0: Probably started that in 2005, 2006. Okay. So, which is also yeah.
1: the time you said you started your podcast.
0: Yeah, which is the time that I started doing the podcast for the radio station, but it was it was a completely automated podcast. So mm-hmm. what was quite weird about it is that it would take... We wrote a complicated algorithm that knew which bits of The Breakfast Show to take, mm. which bits of The Breakfast Show not to take, edit them all together and make a podcast that was a bit choppy, but actually it was pretty good. It was getting... After a couple of years, it was getting ten thousand downloads per episode, which um, I mean, I'd be quite happy with that now, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was doing that was doing fairly well, and I only started podcasting myself only about sort of three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I was working on the technology behind it, uh, helping particularly at the BBC, uh, helping their podcasting, you know, work a bit better, be um, be the same loudness, you mm-hmm. know, be the same, you know, working on all that kind of uh, stuff as well. But, uh, you know, I only started podcasting for myself, as I say, you know, two or three years ago.
1: You had started in twenty six. You, you knew what podcasting was, and you had been focusing your time uh, on, mo- the majority of your, your time, I imagine, was being focused on radio. When was the inflection point? Yeah. When... I imagine there's something or a series of events that sort of caught your eye and started to pull you more into the podcasting world. Do you remember how that happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I was at a – so I get to speak at a lot of radio conferences across the world and a lot of podcasting conferences across the world. And one of the radio conferences I was speaking at was the Worldwide Radio Summit in L.A., and uh, very American. It's called the Worldwide Radio Summit because uh, nobody from the rest of the world goes there <laughs> apart from me. Um, but uh, And I remember sitting uh, in the pub afterwards with a few of my friends, uh, US friends, and uh, we were talking about podcasting. We were talking about how exciting it was. And one of those people said, what really frustrates me is that there's nowhere to go for podcasting news. Mm. At that point, Nick Quarr had started his excellent hot pod newsletter, but yeah. his hot pod newsletter focuses does real deep dives on a couple of things, yeah, very focused on public radio, very focused on the New York podcasting scene and the Boston podcasting scene, obviously
1: and you mean that's not the world of podcasting?
0: Well, it turns out that uh, other people are podcasting as well, <laughs> um, and I suddenly thought to myself well i I know how to do a A links newsletter because I've been running my radio one for a while. I know how to do that. I understand about the podcasting side from a business point of view, from a technical point of view. So, what I should probably be doing is looking into whether or not there is a podcast newsletter out there. And if not, well, why don't I see if I can work on doing it? Mm -hmm. So, I came back and within a month, I'd started doing a very bare-bones, um, you know, MVP uh, version of Pod News, which I coded everything myself because I wanted to make sure that I was able to, you know, I wasn't sort of backing myself into a technology cul-de-sac. I didn't want mm-hmm. to put all of this onto MailChimp because that would have been a mistake. So <laughs> yeah. started, you know, building all of this m- myself and realized that there was certainly something in it you know it it started growing quite fast and i thought to myself well there's there's definitely something here particularly since the amount of news at the time you know i was lucky if i could find 3 or 4 items for the newsletter every day yeah but it was really interesting what was lovely about about that time was that i was able to Play around with the format. I was able to play around with the time it would go out. So, Pod News for me goes out at nine o'clock in the evening. Mm-hmm. Now, nine o'clock in the evening is a great time because it turns out that you lot all go to bed at about two o'clock in the afternoon uh, here in Australia, yeah. where I'm talking to you from. And so, therefore, I've got a good six hours w- where I can actually put the thing uh, together. Um, but that also allows me to have a full day's working if I'm doing other things as well. So, um, You know, so I was very lucky in terms of that and seeing it grow very, very fast was also a great thing. So, um, yeah. And uh, so now eleven thousand nine hundred people get it every single day. Mm -hmm. There's a small amount of people that get the podcast as well, which is nice. And, uh, you know, and that's sort of grown very, very nice and fast, which I'm very uh, I'm very pleased about.
1: Yeah, and so kudos to you for what you've done in terms of being, you know, I, w- I would say you're you're one of the more respected voices in terms of what's happening in the industry uh, and, and being on top. And, and, and also being a, a fair voice, I think, in terms of covering all aspects and, and with, with an objective and sometimes uh, sar- sarcastic, witty, uh, <laughs> effervescent. Occasionally, uh,
0: <laughs> occasionally, if I don't get myself into trouble. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, thank you. Now, and I and I think it's important to look at the podcasting space to try and give something for everybody. So, mm-hmm. so to try and give something for the passion podcasters mm-hmm. who have a full time job elsewhere yeah. but are into podcasting because they really enjoy it. But also to focus on the business side as well, and to focus on podcasting from outside the US. So, yep. yes, there's some stuff coming from the UK, which uh, Caroline deals with a lot for Hot mm-hmm. Pod. But actually, there's an awful lot of other stuff as well. And, the, the, you know, what's going on in India, the Middle East, yeah. here in Australia, you know, there's some fascinating stuff going on, which is actually useful to everybody. And so what I, I, I hope that I try and do as a Brit who lives in Australia anyway, um, is to try and put things into context mm-hmm. um, so that actually it's hopefully useful for, you know, everybody who's, uh, you know, who's interested in this space
1: i had a nice conversation with uh chavi saktev she can claim being the number two podcaster in india yeah um so it's been fascinating fascinating to get some in- back uh, information on 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 her story and she is the number one podcaster uh if you consider the fact that the the actual first podcaster no longer lives in india so she can <laughs> make the claim for that <laughs> so i thought that was funny. yes i
0: mean I mean, of course, there is also Prime Minister Modi, who does do a podcast, and that podcast reaches 600 million people, (laughs) 600 million people. However, most of those are also listening to that podcast on the radio. Yes. So it doesn't necessarily count, but Yeah. uh, yeah. India is one of those fascinating places. It's the second largest country in the world that speaks English. Mm -hmm. Uh, 125 million people there speak English. It's growing incredibly fast in terms of podcast consumption. But again, it has its own unique culture. It has its own unique apps and ecosystem, which again is fascinating to watch. I mean, it's interesting. I'm doing a uh, I'm doing a talk uh, next week as we record this around uh, podcasting trends around the world, and actually seeing what's the same and what's different. Mm-hmm. And you know, and India is one of those countries, China as well, where you follow that and you go. There are there really are things that we can learn out yeah. of these individual countries and what they're actually doing.
1: It's also been interesting to see the response from. Sponsors on your your newsletter, and I think I, what, what's in been interesting that there I think there hasn't been a, like a, a consistent place for sponsors to to sort of get get the word out about what they're doing. So, can you talk a little bit about how that's grown in terms of like what you're doing with with the newsletter and the ability to have a classified network? And I, I know that you're occasionally doing banner ads, and then you've been testing out some of the inserts at the end of your show, which I think Dave Jackson from the School of Podcasting had an opinion about, but we can... talk further about that
0: yeah so i mean you know monetization as a whole um i'm currently not monetizing the podcast at all um but at some point uh, i'll i'll start uh doing that it's interesting how many people i I tried for a couple of months because i I never like doing the same thing so i tried for a couple of months occasionally putting trailers for new podcasts that i found interesting at the end of of the podcast Quite a lot of people didn't like that. But I think also, interestingly, quite a lot of people assumed that that was, that that was paid for. Yeah. And assumed that the podcast that I was promoting there was something that, you know, that paid me money to go into the podcast. Um, and so I got, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, again, there's a difference in culture. I think Europeans... Wouldn't expect that to be paid for unless it was very clear that I said, and now here's a sponsored thing (laughs) from such and such, because that's what Europeans are used to. I think North Americans are much more used to anything being paid for at all which is interesting. So one of the things I'm trying to be very clear and open about in the the in the newsletter is what he's paid for and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, in terms of the way that Pod News earns its money, uh, there's a uh, set of uh, supporters um, at the bottom of every single Pod News, which are you know large industry players or indeed small industry players that uh, pay a certain amount to support pod news every month which is awfully kind of them there are also personal supporters in there as well so all mm-hmm. of that comes through a patreon and and that's fine but that gives you a logo and gives you you know and gives you the glow of knowing that you are supporting pod news yeah so all of a sudden I thought it would be useful wouldn't it if there was a way of getting a paid for message in there so mm-hmm. the classified advertising in there. So again, because I code everything myself, I set myself a goal of trying to build myself a classified system, a classified ad system. But because I tried to build myself a classified ad system in the past for another uh, website that I run, I knew that it doesn't work. (laughs) And so I thought to myself, right, I'm not going to waste too much time on this because I know that it doesn't work. I'm literally going to see how much of this system I can code in one day and put it live so i wrote enough of the system that it would actually work put it live went to bed uh woke up the next morning because uh that is essentially you know the peak time uh, yeah. is when i'm asleep um so woke up the next morning to find Uh, somebody had uh, booked some advertising. Not only had they booked some advertising, they'd they'd spent over $200, which Mm. given that, you know, it was only, I think it was $16 to go in, (laughs) I thought to myself, oh, there's something, maybe I should go in and make it look a little bit better now. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And again, it's that sort of, you know, try things. Sometimes they work, sometimes yeah. they don't. You know, try, thing, try things and see, see how they work. Um, for the first two weeks of that, if you had forgotten your password, there was a button that you could press and it said, forgot your password, question mark, and you would press the button and it said congratulations for being the first person to forget your password you'll need to, you'll need to email me so that I write this code that's great because <laughs> I simply simply haven't written that bit uh, and now uh, and now of course there's also title uh, sponsorship and yeah. there's uh, sponsorship of various uh, sections as well but one of the things I'm, I try to avoid is there's no ad banners in pod news at all, because Mm -hmm. I hate ad banners. Um, I don't think that ad banners are actually helpful. And so one of the things I try and do is I try and work with uh, people as much as possible to go, what is it that you actually want? What is it that you want to promote about your your business? What can we do to help you promote that, Mm -hmm. that also gives something to the audience as well. So as an example, I've got at the moment, uh, Eric Newsom's new book, which is called Make Noise, which is very good. Mm -hmm. They wanted to advertise that book with an ad banner. And I said, we, we don't take ad banners. But what I'd really like to do is, can you give us some really nice quotes from the book that give our audience enough sort of, you know, interest to actually want to find out more about what the book is? So you'll notice that uh, that current uh, that uh, current placement is all there with a new and interesting quote from that particular book every single day. Yeah. Um, and it's that sort of thing. It makes booking advertising in pod news a little bit more complicated, mm-hmm. but it is the sort of thing that I feel is important to actually give audience, you know, to give my audience something which is more interesting than just another flashing ad banner that they can scroll past because I don't think that works for anybody. It doesn't work Mm -hmm. for the advertiser. It doesn't work for the reader as well. So, you know, so I feel fairly strongly about that. And I think that's probably, you know, as I say, I think that's probably one of the differences between the European uh, model and the North American model. It's perfectly possible for you to grow up in the UK to watch TV, to listen to the radio, and not hear a single commercial. Because mm. the BBC, which has a 50% market share, has no advertising on it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They have a rather unique business model instead. And so, therefore, it's really possible for you to avoid an awful lot of the advertising if you want to. And so that, I think, gives you a different outlook on the just the noise and the clutter of advertising if you grew up in that in that environment. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same here as well in in uh, in uh, Australia. So you know, it gives you a different viewpoint on what advertising is and what you might want to end up doing with um, with uh, ads in the future.
1: And have you found that the responses or the feedback from the the, the businesses that you're working with, especially those that are doing some of the, the the title sponsorships, that they're they're happy with the performance and how it's helping drive the the, the type of traffic that they're looking for from this audience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I think two things on that. I've always uh, tried to give as much stats and data as I possibly can. So if you, for example, if you book a classified ad, then you know exactly how many people got sent that newsletter, how many people opened it, how many people clicked on your ad, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can actually see all of the numbers, not just um, not just some of those. But uh, you know, the feedback that I've had from advertisers has been, you know, this has worked so much better than anything else we have ever tried, and you should be charging far more, which is always <laughs> which is always nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, so from a point of view of does it work, um, you know, it seems to work really nicely. I mean, there are obviously sometimes, you know, I used to be an advertising copywriter in my dim and distant past. And, the, and you know, advertising works on a number of different things. One thing is how visible the advertising is, but also mm-hmm. what you say is also important too. Yeah. If what you're promoting isn't actually very interesting, then no one's going to click on that however good the, yeah. <laughs> you know, however good the placement is. So you, you you obviously need to bear that in mind. But I think, you know, the other thing that I was keen to do when I was building the classified system is I was keen to make it cheap enough for a passion podcaster to afford. Mm. But uh, also make it expensive enough that there aren't too many classified ads in there. Yeah. So the the way that the classified ad system works is it starts off very cheap, but it's like airline tickets. The more people who buy it, the more expensive it gets. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, again, seems to have worked okay. There's a bit of sort of, you know, playing around with numbers every so often mm-hmm. to manage that. But I think that that's worked okay in that, you know, I haven't got 15 or 20 classified ads in the you know um, I
1: think you're ca- you're capping it at 6 right
0: I mean there's no cap but it it does get ridiculously expensive <laughs> <laughs> once you once you get up that that high okay you know because it does cost more and more depending on how many other people have actually booked there so okay. um so yeah so you know so I would much rather have a natural cap but if you've got something if you want to spend $300 and you want to be in there tomorrow then i don't want to stop you yeah. you know obviously but i think uh, you know it's 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 that case of just making sure that it doesn't get you know, it's not just a classified ads uh, thing. And actually, it's one one of the things, um, there are jobs at the bottom of, of yeah. the newsletter. And mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, I, I recently dropped is I used to have logos for the companies. Okay. So you could e- instantly see there's a Spotify logo. There's an Apple logo. There are all of these jobs that you can get. And then I realized that people were seeing those as adverts as commercial mm. as commercial content now they are ads but they're not paid for but they are job ads obviously yeah. but I didn't want people to leave reading that newsletter, and think, my God, it's full of ads. Um, (laughs) And so one of the things is, you know, I got rid of those logos because that was giving a bit more of an impression Mm. of, you know, of advertising in there. So, um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's been a really interesting learning experience, as you can probably tell from this, it's been a really interesting learning experience of just, um, you know, seeing what people think asking people and I think probably Harry this is pr- one of the biggest learnings is when you unsubscribe from Pod news mm-hmm. uh, from the newsletter, I send a very personal sounding email uh, which is you know why did you unsubscribe? I'd love to know because I'd love to make it better for everybody else. yeah please if you wouldn't mind you know tell me and surprising how many people do actually tell you. And so many people come back and say, well, you know, uh, you know, it wasn't right for me because of X, because of Y. Yeah. And that is so, so useful. Because if one person is saying that, 100 people are thinking that. And so <laughs> being able to actually use that quite negative feedback mm-hmm. to actually go, oh, I had no idea that people were seeing it in that way. Mm. I'll make this change is actually really helpful. So, so for anybody that is doing something similar always ask when people have stopped being your customer, you know, that's a really, really handy thing.
1: What are some of the, uh, changing gears a little bit, what are some of the topics that you're currently being asked to speak on? Um, what's, what's top of mind for folks? What do they want to hear about?
0: I I mean, I think it's interesting. I think uh, certainly international is a really interesting area. I think there's a bit of a thinking that Uh, You know, I mean, obviously, the US podcast industry is growing tremendously. But Mm -hmm. how can you make money, given that there are another 179 countries out there? How can you make money out of that? So that is interesting. But also, you know, and I've got loads of interesting data. I think one of the nice things is being able to reach out to people and say, I'm I'm just writing something on this. You don't happen to have any data on X, Y, and Z mm. and they will normally give you that data, which is really helpful. Yeah. So you know, the international side is is one thing you know, on the other side, I do a fair amount of talks, which is just, you know, um, how to promote your podcast more, uh, things, things that are interesting from uh, the last year of p- podcasting news, because then you get into the, you know, the rise of uh, Spotify, the rise of, you know, Android phones, what Google Podcasts means, mm-hmm. you know, to all of that. The weirdest thing that I did was last year at Podcast Movement, where I was asked... Uh, five days before podcast movement by Google, please can you come and talk about Google podcasts? I'm <laughs> there, and I'm there thinking, surely one of you guys should be doing that. Yeah. But, but, I, they, but there are reasons why they can't talk at conferences, and I completely understand why there are reasons why they can't talk because literally everything that they say gets twisted. And and uh, I hear take.
1: they I hear they attend the conferences and they be, they make sure to take their badges off when they're at the parties. Yeah,
0: and. <laughs> And and so I did this really weird thing where I was standing in front of the podcast movement crowd explaining what Google Podcasts was, explaining how to get the best out of Google Podcasts, explaining why it was a bit silly that they were, are still running Google Play Music Podcasts, which is different, and doing all of this. While the guy that came up with Google Podcasts was sitting taking photographs wow. of me talking about his product, <laughs> I was there thinking, "This is really weird." Um, but you know, that was yeah. that was great, and, and you know, and full kudos to them for you know for trusting that I wouldn't hopefully go too too much off yeah. off a uh, But also, you know, I mean, I asked them over coffee. I said, "What do you want me to say?" Mm-hmm. Well, I we can't really say. We can't really help <laughs> you there what you know what would you like me to leave these people with well yeah. you know say whatever you th- say whatever you like <laughs> really strange so yeah so a lot a lot of that sort of thing but i also find myself because i'm still doing an awful lot of radio conferences as well and speaking at radio at radio events actually talking about podcasting in that mm. Uh, You know in that environment as well is really interesting because you know certainly when you look at radio consumption You can see there's being a big difference between Under-25s and Mm. And over-25s under-25s have grown up with on-demand audio in various ways Podcasting being part of that and radio for under-25s has really suffered Really suffered and it's something that the radio industry don't talk about too much. Yeah and something that if you look at the numbers you you can uh, you can argue well you know under 25s are still listening to the radio in the same numbers as they have well yes but not to the same length of time as yeah. they have and that's the important side so yeah so that's uh, so that's really interesting on that side actually helping broadcasters understand mm-hmm. you know the opportunities that on demand has And that uh, the opportunities are far more than just taking your show uh, and putting a scope version of that on as a podcast. You know, there are many other things that you should that you should be doing and actually sharing um, best practice from across the world, you know, on that has been, you know, has been a really interesting side of that, too.
1: Do you get a feel that they're trying to make up for lost time by just acquiring some of these companies i know some of these radio companies i mean you saw with e- ew Scripps did with midroll, and some of these older companies um in older industries uh, and like radio and like newspaper i think are are, are using uh, acquisitions as a way to catch up are, are you seeing more of that
0: yeah, I mean, I think in America they are. Yeah. So, you know, iHeartRadio certainly got its checkbook out and has spent quite a lot of money on individual uh, bits and bobs from the podcasting world, as has uh, Entercom. Uh, Scripps is interesting. Scripps is quite fascinating, actually, in that they used to run radio stations and own radio stations. Yeah. They, they've bought into every part of the podcast uh, ecosystem. And they've sold their radio stations, mm-hmm. oh, um, was and so you know, Scripps is really interesting in that it owns, you know, Midroll and Stitcher. So it owns an app. It owns a ad selling unit. It owns Triton, so it owns the technology behind it. it Triton, of course, owns Omni Studio, so it owns a hosting company. You know, all the way through, Scripps has bought into this particular ecosystem. And that's, you know, I find that whole thing fascinating uh, and really clever if they get everything to work as one. And maybe, you know, it is interesting looking at scripts with the myriad of different brands that they now own, uh, looking at that in comparison to Acast, who bought Pippa, which was a French podcast Mm -hmm. uh, host last year, spent six months, I think it was, rebranding it, and it's now called Acast Open and everything is under the Acast brand and that to me you know i mean maybe a brighter idea than owning a bunch of disparate brands mm-hmm. in the area but you know uh, there are various reasons why you might want to keep hold of those of those uh, heritage brands so yeah. yeah you know so i think i think the radio industry certainly in the US has grown by acquisition into the podcast space uh, it's actually really interesting seeing what the radio industry is doing in other countries so in the UK for example global radio which is the big sort of iheart radio equivalent in the UK they went out and just built their own ad sales system, which sells dynamic advertising into podcasts, into Spotify, into, you know, Deezer and, you know, all of those um, music services. Uh, It sells dynamic ad insertion into live radio streams as well. And so they have really grown by building their own tech, and similarly, if you come to Australia, then you 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 can see uh, radio groups doing two different things. Southern Cross Australia, which is the big one here, uh, has bought into Podcast One hmm. and sells Podcast One ads down here and, and all of that. Yeah. Whereas Nova Entertainment, which is another one of the large ones, goes out and sells advertising for Acast which actually, if you think about it, makes perfect sense. So they are going with one salesperson, going to an advertising agency, an advertising buyer, and saying, you can buy audio ads on our radio stations, which reach Mm. X number of million people, and also on all of these podcasts as well, including podcasts from the BBC and podcasts from all over the place. And that's a really clever buy, I think. So there are different radio groups doing things in different ways. And it's fascinating seeing which part of that is going to work. And I'm um, uh, one of the organizing team for a radio conference in Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia, Mm. in September called Radio Days Asia. And one of the things I'm trying to do with that, and it may or may not work, one of the things I'm trying to do with that is to have a track which is purely about podcasting. Uh, And if you're a passion podcaster, instead of paying $300 or whatever it is to get into the main conference, you can pay $10 to just get into the podcasting track because I'm really excited about what happens when you mix Mm. passion podcasters together with radio broadcasters. Because I think each side has a lot to teach each other uh and any of that that i can sort of you know facilitate would be really interesting i
1: think and you're helping coordinate and and put that event on
0: yeah so um uh so we had our first year last year okay. which was really good which had about 300 people there from lots of radio companies across asia including india and uh and uh this year we're hoping to make it even bigger um so radiodaysasia.com uh, <laughs> is where to find out more information about that
1: are you uh, okay with the fact that you're still going to occasionally be receiving ads for products that you can't buy in Australia <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh, yeah so this is one of the things that is interesting about the international podcasting world in that when you listen to podcasts in in Australia i hear ads for blue apron or ads for casper you know casper mattresses and i can't buy cook-your-own-mattresses here. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that podcasting, um, you know, it's interesting. You look at the top 100 podcasts that are subscribed to here in Australia. Uh, I got this uh, data from Pocket Casts. So the top 100 podcasts which are subscribed to, Mm -hmm. uh, of those, 79 of those are from the U.S. Wow. So you can see that there's lots and lots of U.S. Uh, content which is coming into uh, coming into Australia. And most of those do not have advertising which is targeted here. So it does get a bit weird when you're listening to Reply All and then all of a sudden somebody is telling you how, how Australia Post is doing a great thing this summer. Because that is very confusing. Uh, <laughs> but most of them are... Most of them are advertising for, uh, you know, Geico insurance yeah. and for, you know, credit cards you can only buy in the, U- in the U.S. and so on. And I think that's just such a missed opportunity. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, having said that, I was out walking the dog a little bit earlier. Uh, I was listening to a great podcast and I love it because they say, you know, we're, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this. And welcome back, because <laughs> there's no, no idea there at all. Um, so, you know, so that's really interesting. But I think, you know, the amount of money which is being lost to the to the podcast industry yeah. by not sufficiently monetizing non-US audiences is really interesting. And I think that's something that we need to be... Uh, fixing, you know, in in this year, and actually making sure that, uh, you know, wherever you listen to a to a podcast, yeah. that there's an opportunity there. I think also, by the way, I think that uh, what the industry should be looking at is some way of escaping from the advertising. Uh, mm. uh, area completely. interesting. Um, it's interesting. Once, once you start looking into China, for example, their big podcast app, Himalaya, yeah. is a podcast app where 50% of podcasts are free, but 50% of podcasts are paid for. That's right. Um, and it, it's just in the same way as you go on to, you know, the Apple uh, App Store or something and you sell an app. Uh, Apple keeps 30% of it and you keep 70% of it. Well, why aren't we doing that for podcasts? Particularly, why isn't Apple Podcasts doing that? Because Apple Podcasts has all of the infrastructure and all of the complicated tax stuff and everything else. To me, if they were to do that, then all of a sudden Apple Podcasts would be earning money for Apple. Because at the moment it's earning nothing. And then secondly, that would then give Apple the opportunity uh, and the business reason to go and put a Apple Podcasts app onto Android, mm. um, because 79% of all mobile phones in the world are Android phones. So if all of a sudden they can both be on Android as Apple Podcasts, but also, sp- uh, but also earn money out of Android users, you can see there being a real opportunity for Apple there, but also a real opportunity for podcasts to be able to earn money in a different way other than a 30-second ad of somebody shouting at you about, um, you know, a new, a new uh, uh, kitchen or a new car uh, or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, wouldn't it be interesting if that was uh, explored a little bit more?
1: Well, there is an open position for business development at Apple, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> there <laughs> is. That
0: there is at Podjobs, podjobs.net. <laughs> uh, yes, there is. And I mean, my my suspicion is that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure that Apple, just like Google, just like any large company is fraught with politics and everything else. Yeah. But that would be really interesting. One of the uh, questions that I've never really got a straight answer to has been how important really is podcasting to Apple? Mm. Because, uh, you know, podcasting at the moment is earning, what, $600 million in the US uh, every year. Apple earns $600 million every seven hours. (laughs) Um, So so really, how important is podcasting to Apple? And I wonder whether if it is another... Uh, line on their profit, that their attitude towards it might change a little bit more. And we may well end up having lots of shows which are exclusive to Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. because they're paid for yeah. by Apple Podcasts. And and I don't necessarily have an issue with that as long as, uh, you, you know, as long as it's, um, it, as it's done in a sensible way. So, uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing, to, uh, or the interest you have in open standards with regards to podcasting? I know you had a, at least one, or maybe several projects in the <laughs> works. I can't keep. I can't keep up.
0: <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm. I'm just keen. One of the things I've always been keen in doing, whether it's the radio industry, whether it's podcasting, is uh, to stop reinventing the wheel where it gives us no commercial uh, benefit mm-hmm. to do so. So, as an example. A user agent list—that list of of things where your podcast host can go re- can go away and say you had twenty listens on, you know, Google Podcasts, two hundred listens on Apple Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's done with a thing called a user agent, which is a, a little piece of text that uh, every device sends back to your podcast host, and every single podcast host at the moment uh, keeps a list of those separately. Mm. To the degree where actually I'm not entirely convinced that every single podcast host is keeping that list updated to the same degree. Mm. And my suspicion is that Google Podcasts, for example, is rather larger than it would seem because quite a lot of podcast hosts aren't doing a very good job of monitoring it. And so one of the things that I felt quite strongly about was, okay, let's publish something which is open, which is on GitHub, mm-hmm. which anybody can use, which is a proper full list of podcast uh, user agents, podcast app user agents. And so that's there. It's uh, it's on GitHub under OPAWG, the Open Podcast Analytics Working Group. And so you'll find uh, that list there. That is now being used by, I believe, five or six podcast hosts okay. um, automatically every single week. They update uh, their data with the latest information. Loads of people are keeping it updated, which is fantastic. Uh, the user agent for Apple Podcasts, it turns out, is translated, which is helpful. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> so if, you, if you're if you using it in Iran, then it's translated into, uh, into uh, Iranian. If you're using okay. it in Spanish, it's translated into Spanish and so on and so forth. So all of that kind of information is now uh, available there. And I think that that's you know an important thing. And another important thing is you know um, you know sharing as much code and as much data as we can, so that we are actually competing on the things that matter, yeah. and not competing on the standards that everybody should be doing. So I'm quite keen in that. I'm quite keen in standards around how we measure uh, podcast downloads. Um, IB version two is good. Uh, I think it could be improved, as all of these things could. You know, So, I mean, all of that kind of stuff I'm quite keen in doing because, you know, at the end of the day, if there are things that, we, that, that allow us to focus on uh, making podcasting easier for other people rather than reinventing the, this particular wheel for the 17th time, then that would be really helpful. So, uh, yeah, so open standards and stuff like that are, re- are really helpful and useful there, I think.
1: What's the latest count of user agents?
0: Oh, I've not got the faintest idea, but there are quite (laughs) a lot of them. I mean, you know, I mean, what's interesting. So I've got a list of, there's an open list of user agents. There's an open list of pre-penned companies, people like Captivate, uh, not Captivate, people like um, Chartable.
1: Um, Chartable, Backtracks.
0: Yeah, uh, and all of those. So there's a list of those uh, and links to privacy policies and all that kind of stuff. And then there's an open list of... Of podcast hosts as well, so that actually um, you can actually tell which podcast host this particular podcast is hosted by, Mm. which is surprisingly hard to find. And so all of that, all of that information is, you know, really interesting, really useful information to just have somewhere that other people can actually take and use.
1: Very good. This conversation did not disappoint, and it's as podcast geeky <laughs> as I imagined it, it would just, be. It and is it. properly geeky, <laughs> yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll put um, uh, a pin. 5% in. of listeners <laughs> are still listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it, the podcast it's the podcast where I talk to other podcasters about podcasting talking to the podcast uh editor of, of the the most popular podcast newsletter so it's literally a, a podcast rabbit hole we' we've, we've, <laughs> we've gone down it, re- um, it
0: really is isn't
1: it yeah it's just fascinating to see what's going on there, this I've, I've been in it for about five years myself and, and, and just from seeing what's mm-hmm. happening and, and just been lucky enough to have conversations with some of the most interesting folks in the space. And I'm just fascinated, just fascinated to see what's happening. And, and I'm wondering, just a, just a kind of a recap um, a, as we wind down, like your thoughts on, on where we are, like where we are in terms of the arc of, of podcasting, having, and then I think you have a unique perspective having you know spent a bit of time in radio. You know, they, a lot of people like to talk about the exponential growth in technologies, and they talk about like mm. the the movement from you know radio to TV, and then the movement from TV maybe I think it was to or I think it was the the, the telegraph to to the phone or something like that. And they do these exponential jumps, and 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 the window keeps getting shorter and shorter. So, I, I'm wondering what your take is, is is like where we are in in the uh, the arc of of the the podcasting space.
0: I mean, I think we've uh, we are right at the beginning. And I think that the podcasting Mm -hmm. industry um, likes bigging itself up because you kind of have to big yourself up um, to make you appear bigger than you really are. (laughs) But let's but let's be clear for all of the growth of Spotify. Only 16% of Spotify's users. Only 16% bother to listen to podcasts within mm-hmm. Spotify. So there's a tremendous amount of growth that could happen there. If you look at consumption of podcasting, it's highest. Um, weirdly, it's highest in Canada. But let's um, but let's look at the US numbers. US every month, 32%. Of people listen to a podcast. Hmm. Now that's a nice high figure, 32% uh, a- every month. Every week in the US, 92% of people listen to the radio. Hmm. Not just that, if you look at total time spent with audio, then you end up with radio being about 60% and podcasting being about 7%. There's a tremendous amount of growth that we actually have. And so I see podcasting very much as being uh, very early, very nascent. Um, It's definitely a business which is going to grow. Um, I think there are going to be a few bumps along the way. Um, But I think, uh, you know, we will certainly see some really interesting things happen. I mean, I think also uh, podcasting hasn't yet properly sorted out its business model, really. And I think that's something that uh, we'll continue to play around, you know, we'll continue to sort of, you know, play around with people for the next uh, couple of uh, years is actually just trying to work out where where we are going in terms of that, you know, will a luminary type service work? Uh, or Magellan, or Sybil, or any of the other services which are, um, you know, coming up in uh, Europe as well, you know, so all of that is going to be really interesting. But, you know, as I say, I think we've got so much to learn, and so far to go, I think it's a really exciting space. Because as we as we grow, you know, we can make this business be what we want this business to be. And if we want as as a whole, if podcasting wants our business to be open, if podcasting wants podcasting still to be run by RSS, you know, still to have uh, <laughs> stats which aren't particularly great, but they're good enough, um, yeah. certainly rather better than stats that you get for newspapers, you you know, (laughs) Um, you know, so uh, all of that stuff, that's kind of really up to us. And I find that as being a really interesting time in the growth of an industry that will only grow and that will only get better as we move forward.
1: And that might be crazy to hear for the folks who've been around as as long as you and, and, uh, and Rob Walsh does not like the word renaissance. <laughs> but but there I think there is something to be said. Obviously there's early adopters, but I think there is a it's just an exciting time because I I think we are we haven't even seen what, what, what we' we're, what we're capable of in this industry in, in terms of yeah. adoption.
0: I think it is an exciting time and I think the the one sort of caveat that I would put is that there are a lot of heritage voices out there in the world of podcasting. Who every time something new happens in podcasting, they jump on the brakes and they say, but you've got to remember where we came from and you've got to remember how podcasting got here. And I think it's useful to have a look back at the history of podcasting, but I think it is also useful to remember, um, to quote the, uh, the, uh, novel that the past is a different country and mm. they do things different. They do things differently there. Yeah. Um, and then actually if we are going to move forward, if we are going to change this industry and turn it from being 20% of people consuming it every week to 90% of people mm. consuming it every week, which is where it should be. Yeah then we do have to break some things in order to actually get there. And I think, you know, looking at the tradition of things, looking at how things used to be, uh, is probably the reason why radio is currently failing. Uh, why radio in Canada has the worst audience figures it has ever had, why radio in the UK has the worst audience figures that it has ever had, by the way, four times larger than podcasting. Yeah. I think that's probably the reason why radio is failing, is is that we have looked back too much at our past and gone, but guys, you've got to remember how radio got here. Yeah. And I think we just need to occasionally break things in order to move forward (laughs) and to change the way that we do things.
1: Yeah, here, here. Uh, just a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: Something I've changed my mind about recently? Wow, that's an interesting question. That's completely got me off guard. Something I've changed my mind about recently.
1: Notice I didn't ask you something you've had a strong opinion about recently, because I know, <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know... I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and I try... What, what what's, what's difficult, I think, is... In pod news, I try and keep my opinion out of it um, yeah. and I try and keep it to be, you know, I mean, occasionally there'll be a sarcastic comment, but I mm-hmm. try and keep it as opinion free as I possibly can because I don't think that, you know, I, I really matter in the great scheme of things. Uh, so I was saying a year and a half ago, I was saying only put Apple and Google buttons on your podcast mm. website, only promote those two because everybody else knows how their podcast apps work. And now I think, probably shouldn't have said that, probably should have said (laughs) Apple, Google and Spotify, because Mm -hmm. uh, given the the relative size of uh, Spotify these days, I did also used to think um, rather more negatively about the IAB standards that I think now. Okay. And I think, you know, uh, I think what's interesting is, you know, slowly changing my mind about these sorts of things has been quite interesting because, you know, again, I don't want to be one of those people that is stuck in podcasting as it used to be. Yeah. um, I'd much rather I'd much rather make sure that I understand where things are changing and how to use that change for the better, you know, for the, 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 the the goodness of the podcasting industry. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's basically it. I, you, you know, I mean, and the other thing is, uh, I used to believe that all American beer was rubbish. <laughs> uh, and uh, now, actually, American craft beer is quite good. It so, is good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Very> good, <laughs> there, is well. also, there is also that.
1: Well, I think it's important to always not have fixed notions about how things should be or how things are or how things used to be. And I think too too much, and this happens in American politics, God forbid you 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 change your opinion about something, you become quote-unquote wishy-washy. Uh, and I think as... Oh, as yes, be- that really,
0: that <laughs> does really annoy me. That does really annoy yeah. me. So somebody has actually read about this and has thought a little bit hard and has changed yeah. <laughs> their mind. And you're criticizing people for that. Why would you do that? But yeah, yeah. exactly. It, you know, and you get people, uh, accusing people of flip flopping and everything. flip flopping. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I do come at most things with a relatively open mind. Yeah. And I kind of sometimes wish that, uh, others in, in, you know, that some others in the podcasting world would have a bit more of an open mind as well of just sort of thinking, yeah. Oh, maybe maybe there's something in that instead of saying nope that's not the way it's done but you know uh, that there, there again i'm sure that i have many no that's not the way it's done yeah uh, thoughts as well particularly around banner ads in in newsletters you're not going to get banner ads in newsletters yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that you're passionate about that topic um <laughs> what's the most misunderstood thing about you
0: what's the most misunderstood thing about me I think having a radio background, I think quite a lot of people assume that I come with um, some of the thinking of the radio industry. Mm. And similarly, you know, it's a weird one where quite a lot of the radio industry think that I don't don't understand the radio industry enough because I'm also in other parts of the online world as well. And there's a sort of, um, you know, again, it's that sort of the, the misunderstanding that you can try and understand other people's industries, mm. but you don't necessarily come back with um, just having their their viewpoint on everything. Yeah. Podcasting is interesting because we, ha- we, we have as any industry does, we kind of have to have an enemy. Mm. We kind of have to have a common foe that we are always fighting against. Yeah. And for a long time, that is that has been the radio industry. Yeah. And I remember talking at my first uh, podcast conference, which was in 2005, in June 2005, in a uh, hotel in the center of London. Wow. And I was being shouted at <laughs> by people in the audience saying you guys in big media you don't get it you don't you, you don't get that podcasting is all about the little guy and it's not about big names and big podcasters and and all of that you know you guys don't get it at all and it was a really uncomfortable time mm. Because I was there, going, no, I, I, I really do get it, and I'm trying to share as much information as I possibly can. I'm one of you, <laughs> but but I kind of but I kind of understand why. Yeah. You know, I kind of understand why everybody does need an enemy, and I think just sort of, you know, hopefully knowing that there are uh, that there are people who uh, you know might share quite a lot of your views is quite is quite useful. Who don't necessarily work in your industry. That's true. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I appreciate you, um, sharing your, your opinions and views and, and just uh, uh, this opportunity to get to talk all about, um, one of my favorite topics, podcasting. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's exciting to see what's happening. Um, I'm appreciative of the of the lens uh, through which you're allowing us to see the world of podcasting and for also people who are new to it to to discover it because i'm sure as you get new readers they're learning a lot about podcasting things that they hadn't learned before so so i just want to thank you uh publicly for your contribution to what you've you've been doing uh for the past several years uh to help uh, grow this grow this industry
0: yeah, well, thank you, and uh, thank you for uh, thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me some of those swerve ball <laughs> questions too.
1: Where's the best place for folks to uh, continue to uh, follow the adventures of James Cridland?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, PodNews.net yeah. is the place that everybody should be going yep. to to subscribe there. If you're interested in the radio bit of what I've been saying, James.Crid.Land. Is the uh, really very difficult uh, website address <laughs> to read out, and I'm on all the I, I'm on all the social media. Although at the moment, what I've been doing is I've uh, I've deleted uh, both Facebook and Twitter off my phone, oh, that's smart, because it's driving me absolutely yeah. mad. And so I'm posting on there rather less than okay. I used to, but nevertheless, uh, yes, I'm also on there as
1: well. Yeah, I've turned off almost all of my alerts. It's that Pavlovian response was basically driving me bananas with every little ting and blip and beep and. B- <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the alerts are turned off yeah. uh, a long time ago. But it was, you know, I just found myself slumping in front of the television, arguing with somebody on Facebook, <laughs> and thinking this is not this is not uh, this is not the best use of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, it, it's a useful place to be. But I've learned that actually, you you spend your time on Facebook or on Twitter on a laptop okay. where you are in the right mental. P- That's in true. the right mental place to actually be engaging with uh, with uh, other people.
1: Yeah. to yeah, so all that and social media tips as well from James <laughs> Cridland. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Thanks again, James. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. So thanks again to James for being so knowledgeable and so accommodating with his time. I was really looking forward to this conversation, as I mentioned earlier, because it was a great opportunity to understand exactly what's happening in the podcasting space given his perspective and given his experience and time in the trenches. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor, Focus Right. Make sure you check out the new podcast studio makeover promotion that's happening now, podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite promo. They're giving away over $2,300 in prizes, and one of them happens to be an hour of consulting with me on your show. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil podcast production and marketing provided by fullcast.co sign up for a free consulting call at fullcast.co forward slash chat one five tune in next week for my conversation with taz ahmed she is the co-host of good muslim bad muslim special shout out to past guest jay connor for making that introduction very very interesting conversation as it's the first time i've chatted with a podcaster about the full cycle and life of a podcast. Don't miss that one. If you made it this far, no doubt you're waiting for the retention hashtag. Let's go for pod news, James. That's hashtag pod news, James. And you can tag James at James Cridland and me at podcast underscore Chunkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I'm immensely in debt to so you all. Stay safe during these crazy times. Love you guys and gals.